InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. More and more women are earning degrees in engineering, which often result in solid job offers and a substantial income. But up to a third of them later change careers. Why? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey has the story. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Our guest is Susan Silby. She's the Leon and Ann Goldberg Professor of Humanities, Sociology, and Anthropology at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and she was the co-author of this study. Dr. Silby, welcome to InfoTrack. Thank you for having me. The basis of your study is that women who go to college intending to become engineers stay in the profession less often than men. First, what percentage of engineering students are female? Well, it varies at different institutions. Across the nation now, it's over 20%. At the schools we studied in MIT, it's over 40%. At Olin, it's 35 to 40%. So it's pretty high in some schools. Those seem like pretty healthy numbers. How many of them end up seeking other professions? Across the nation, more than a third will leave. And how does that compare to men? Oh, very few men leave. Hmm. Very few. Can you talk for just a moment about why women should be going after engineering jobs in the first place? Why should it be an attractive career choice for them? Well, let's start with the simplest and most common reason that people study engineering. In four years, one has a professional degree, often licensed, high-paying, and almost always employed. Okay? This is good work. Now, before you tell us the results of your study, perhaps you could just tell us a bit about how you conducted this study. Who did you talk to and how did it work? This study was begun to compare the ways in which different engineering programs succeeded in making a different kind of engineer. We were interested in innovative education, which was being promoted at the Olin College of Engineering in Needham, a brand new school, and the Picker College of Engineering at Smith College. They were inventing new forms of curriculum to begin with designing and problem solving rather than with basic science. They were designing their curriculum to innovate and transform the traditional education, which was common at the University of Massachusetts and at MIT and at 95% of the engineering schools around the United States, which begin with basic science and then turn to engineering. So we followed a cohort of students through four schools. We began at their orientation, observing their experiences. We interviewed 100 students, 25 at each school in year one and in years three and four. We surveyed a sample of students across the four schools, altogether close to 800 or more students. And we invited 40 students, 10 at each school, to write to us at least twice a month for the course of their four years. We paid them a nominal fee for doing so. That's the form of data we collected. Observations, interviews, surveys, and diaries. We were trying to find out if, after four years, the new programs would end up 
producing a noticeably different kind of engineer. You might want to know that in the end, that didn't turn out to be the case. We found no significant differences in the career aspirations, in the performance of the students at the innovative schools from those at the traditional schools. A major reason, perhaps, is because the traditional schools are never static. They are also changing. So it's very hard to get a clear comparison in that way. Our guest on InfoTrack is Professor Susan Silby from MIT. She was the co-author of a study that examined why women leave the engineering profession after getting a degree in engineering. So after spending all the time and money for an engineering degree, why are women changing to different careers? Because they experience themselves as unwanted, as not respected, as marginal. They do very well in classroom work, in exams, in individual projects, but engineering education is preparing people to work in teams, in engineering firms. And so there's a large emphasis on group projects and on internships and experiences in firms. And at these two important parts of the education, the women experience themselves as, as I say, marginal, unwanted. They are pushed aside, put into managerial roles, secretarial roles, menial roles, and not regarded as technically expert when in their coursework and in their exams, they are as expert and often more so than the men. What are the most common careers that these women opt into with that engineering degree? They'll go into management. They might go into finance. Some of them go into science. They leave engineering for other occupations that also reward technical capacity. So where do you believe changes need to be made to improve this batting average to help women stay in engineering jobs? Well, I think we could start in their education. A lot of effort has been put into recruiting women. They do well. But the schools don't understand yet, and maybe after our work they will, that they have to start putting as much effort into the work the students do by themselves in these teams and out-of-classroom activities. They have to teach the students how to get along without excluding some. That's one thing. Another is the profession itself. The firms are some of the most egregious examples of discrimination. And I'm not sure how that will change except over time as more women do enter. But there are other studies, for example, research in Australia on successful women engineers. And that study found that almost all of them had become managers, that the way to succeed was to use their competence in communication and managing people, and they rise up through management rather than stay with the technical work. It's a shame because they want to do the technical work. Do you have any advice for young women who are entering the field now with an engineering degree on perhaps how to tough it out, or is that just not practical? tough it out is right, but the way one toughs it out in anything is to get partners. They need to form relationships with senior women who can mentor them, 
with others in a similar situation where they can share their experiences and try to learn from each other. It's very important to recognize that these are not individual or unique or personal problems, which is too often the interpretation. I must have done something wrong. Unless you speak with others who are similarly situated, you're not going to discover that your experiences are in fact something not about you as Joan or Judy or Barbara, but are because you are a woman. And when they recognize that, then they might be able to act collectively. But so long as you tough it out by yourself, you're not going to be able to discover ways to respond collectively. Interesting study. Professor Susan Silby from MIT, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.